0: This is nice. Green Bay Packers hat. Pink, which is nice. Thank you, whoever. Okay. Hey, there's a song. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. And then the second verse, if you're happy and you know it. I don't. Do you stomp your feet when you're happy? When I see someone stomping their feet, they're usually not happy, especially if they're three years old. Anyway, when I'm happy and I know it, I tend to... Do a lot of things, but one thing is sing. And when Jesus' birth is announced, people sing. It's good news. So we're looking at the songs of Christmas, three major songs by three major characters, Zechariah, Mary, and then Simeon. And when they receive the good news, they don't clap, they don't stomp their feet, they sing. And did you know that God sings? Zephaniah 3.17, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Now last week we looked at the song of Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist in uh, Luke 1. Today's Mary and then Christmas Eve on Tuesday we'll look at Simeon. Mary's song is the first song ever sung because of the birth of Jesus. And what's amazing about her song, it is so theologically rich and it's sung by a girl who's probably 14 or 15 years old. Most Protestants have not appreciated Mary like we should, probably an overreaction to the Catholic view, uh, uh, but I just want us to come out of this with a greater appreciation of this young mother. Luke one twenty six it says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting that might be. But the angel said to her, "'Do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You'll conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end.' "'How will this be?' Mary asked the angel, "'since I am a virgin.' The angel answered, "'The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you.' So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. When Gabriel comes to Mary and gives her this news about having a child, obviously there's a lot of good news involved, but it's not all good news because she's not married. And she she would be an unwed, pregnant teenage girl, and it was not a friendly culture for that. Joseph could reject her. According to the Torah, someone in her condition was supposed to be stoned, uh, stoned to death. And for sure, she would at least be the subject of rumors and ugly gossip and speculation. Nazareth was a small town, and that's the way small towns usually work. Plus, if this child of Mary's was in some sense to be a king or a messiah, Then there would be danger from other kings, and as it turns out, sure enough, there was a king named Herod, and he was not pleased to hear that this king had been born, and so Mary had to run for her life. And she begins married life, in exile as a fugitive, pregnant, away from home in a foreign country with a foreign language, away from the people she loved in a strange country of Egypt, heavy stuff for a 15-year-old. And in a very real way, she suffered for the Messiah way before he ever suffered for her. But her whole demeanor is, and I'm reading this from the Revised Standard Version, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She submits to God. Now there's a song most people don't associate with Christmas. I want to see if you remember this one. Go ahead and play it. You know what? Yeah. In times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me Speaking words of wisdom, let it be Okay, thanks. Beatles, let it be. Anyone know the year? 1970. 1970, okay. How many of you were alive in 1970? Okay. I was four. Okay. That's a lie. Among other things... A others thing, that song is actually a reflection of this passage in Luke 1, obviously. It says, When I find myself in times of trouble, Mary, Mother Mary comes to me speaking words of wisdom, let it be. See, that's what Mary says when she hears these words from the angel let it be to me according to your word. Mary goes on to sing the first song of Christmas. Mary's song is sometimes called the Magnificat because in Latin it starts with that word, My soul magnifies the Lord. Or the NIV says, My soul glorifies the Lord. Everybody's soul magnifies something. That's part of being human. To magnify something is to give it an extraordinarily large place in your life. Your mind wanders to it when you have nothing else to think about it. Your desires are, get shaped around it. Your identity gets tied up in it. Your joys and your sorrows are all wrapped up in it. Whether, whether you're getting more of this or less of it. whatever you magnify, we all magnify something. It's part of our condition. It's the way we were created. So Mary magnified the Lord, and uh, if you want to turn your Bibles, Luke 146 is where the song begins, and as we read this, I want you just to remember, this is a teenage, unwed, pregnant girl, going to be a fugitive, and none of it's her fault. What would you sing? Here's her song. Mary said, my soul glorifies or magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. When I first looked at this, the thing that jumps out, first of all, the joy, the confidence, and I wonder why, because if anyone has reason to worry and stress and complain and maybe even be angry with God, it would be Mary. And the other thing that jumps out is the main character of this song. The focus is the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord, my... Spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for He has been mindful. The Mighty One has done great things. And you look at the rest of it, it's all about God. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent away the rich empty. He's helped with his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, for even as he said to our fathers, his mercy, he performed, he lifted up, he's done this, he said, he helped. There's two approaches to life, folks, and depending on which approach you take, it's going to make all the difference in everything else in your life. The first approach is to start with your life and your experiences and project that onto God. I'm going to call that the bottom-up approach to life. You start with you. And the result is, when things are good, you feel like God's good. And God's close, and God loves me, and God cares for me. God is good because life is good. But when things get bad... And things get hard, you start to wonder, well, is God really good? you, You might even get mad at God. You might gravitate away from God or maybe take a different view of God towards agnosticism or atheism or deism, that God is far away and not interested in my life. And the result is if you start bottom up, you start with your feelings and your experiences and your sadness, your suffering, your joy, your blessing, whatever it is, and you project that all toward God. And when you need him most, you'll tend to run from him instead of running to him. When things are good, God's okay. When things are bad, God's not fair. God's unfaithful. And the vast majority of people have a bottom-up approach to life. starts with me. Mary gives the other approach to life, the top-down approach. This approach, approach assumes that God is who He says He is, that the Bible is true, and that it reveals His character, His nature, and His attributes. And we interpret all of our life in light of what God says and who God is. This approach knows that God is good. And he made the world good. And we've corrupted it through sin. And the sin and the suffering and the sadness that is experienced in this life is not because of God. It's because of Satan and demons and sinners all working together in this war against God. And there's a struggle going on. And God has a plan and he's working it out and unfolding it through history. He's going to send a redeemer and a liberator and a savior. And so when we are suffering and when we are anxious and frustrated, we know it's part of the struggle. And we still trust God. We run to God. We know he's in control. We don't run from him. I was visiting a woman in the nursing home this past week, 95 years old. She told me, Mark, Dennis told me I need to have all my teeth pulled. She's in a wheelchair living in a cubicle. All teeth being pulled does not sound like fun. And I got to thinking, there is nothing about her life that I want. Nothing. Except one. Because he gave her communion, and she said, God is good, with the biggest smile. That's a top-down approach to life. No matter what, God is good. Mary takes a top-down approach. The, the whole song is God-oriented. Whatever comes her way, she sees it through that perspective. She's given the most difficult of circumstances, as, as, if you look at it from a worldly point of view, all kinds of reasons for stress and worry, to fret and to stew. And if you have a bottom-up approach, you're going to question God. Why is this happening to me? You know, It's not fair. But because she has this top-down God approach, she knows that he's working in these circumstances. I knew a lady who was dying of cancer, and other people kept saying to her, oh, how could this happen to you? This is so sad, and it's not fair. And she said, why not me? And she just started listing all her blessings and took a top-down approach. Psalm 35 says, My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit has found gladness in God my Savior. Mary pretty much sings the same song. In fact, when you look through her song, there's dozens of allusions to Old Testament scriptures which means that Mary's knowledge of Scripture was extraordinary. One reason she has a top-down approach to life, she knows the Bible. Now, in those days, you didn't own a Bible. There might be Scriptures at the synagogue, but they would be not accessible to you. A number of scholars have suggested that Mary very may well have memorized the entire book of Psalms. Her mind was immersed in the Word. This is a young girl filled with the Bible, and that's why it's such a theologically rich song by someone so young. In this song... If you look at it, take it piece by piece, there's 17 attributes of God in this rather short song. God is Savior, personal, He's powerful, holy, merciful, to be feared, He's worthy, sovereign, generous, just, faithful, eternal, and on and on. And uh, it made me think of on Facebook, uh, some of you posted thing about 17 things boys need from their mom. And it's really kind of a nice thing. They need respect, and they need affection, you know, responsibility, things like that. But Mary, the 17 things she's going to give her boy... 17 Attributes of God. She's going to give Jesus a top-down approach to life. Her whole song is about God. She magnifies the Lord. And I'm guessing that Mary sang this song to Jesus when, she was a, when he was a boy. I'm guessing she told Jesus about the announcement from the angel and how they had to flee to Egypt. She told him the whole story and I've got to believe she also sang this song. And we're kidding ourselves if we don't think Mary had an influence on Jesus. Didn't have an influence. She's mom. It's funny how we're marked by the songs we hear, especially when growing up from our parents. Even parents can't sing well. We'll often sing to their kids, sometimes goofy songs. I remember doing silly songs from Daddy. And now the kids are gone, so I sing silly songs to Ellen. She didn't like them as much. <laughs> Ellen was telling about selling the melon, and there's no telling, and then she married a felon, and uh, anyway, weird stuff like that. Anyway, I'm not a felon, but... <laughs> We're influenced by the songs we hear from people in our lives, especially the people we love when we are young. Mary had a song. I've got to believe she sang this song to her son or something like it, and she was teaching Jesus a top-down approach to life. In so many ways, Jesus later becomes this song. I mean, he, he enacts it. Jesus is Mary's song, Come to Life. Another theme in this song, the humble will be exalted, the proud will be brought down. Mary's at the bottom of the socioeconomic scale. She's a peasant. She's poor. And then she becomes an unwed teen mother and a fugitive to Egypt. She's way at the bottom. And what happens to her as she sings is what God does all the time. Those who are humble and those who fear the Lord will be lifted up. Those who are proud and arrogant will be brought down. Do you ever get tired of arrogant politicians? if you had enough of that? I mean, gag. You just want to scream. Well, in Mary's day, it wasn't much different. The most important man in the world was at least the world thought, was Caesar Augustus, the emperor of Rome. He'd been adopted by Julius Caesar, and when Julius died, Julius was declared to be a god, so Augustus was the son of God. Interesting. On ancient Roman coins, you'll actually see that phrase, son of God. When Augustus seized power, he ended the civil wars that were ripping Rome apart, and you might remember Mark Antony and Cleopatra and those battles. And so they said Augustus was the bringer of peace and what became the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And because he did this, he was called the people's savior. The word is soter in the Greek. And because of this, his reign was declared throughout the empire as good news, or the gospel. Rome had a gospel. There's an inscription from the ancient world right around the time when Mary would have been a little girl, and this is what it says about Augustus by sending Augustus as a savior for us and to those who come after us to make war to cease, that is to bring peace, the birthday of the God Augustus was the beginning for the world of the good news that has come to men through him. That sound familiar? It's amazing. The exact same terminology is used of Jesus' birth. And I don't think that's an accident. It's precisely to show that we got two kings here. We got the emperor and we got this baby. And a system is going to be overthrown. It's what it's saying. A way of life is going to be challenged. Very powerful rulers and their values are going to be defied because the real son of God, the real savior, the real peace bringer is coming with the real good news. The humble will be lifted up and the proud brought low. So the Magnificat is more than just a little nice little religious Sunday school song. It's more than harmless words of devotion. It has some dynamite to it. I mean, She's using the language of revolution and protest. He's scattered those who are proud. He's brought down rulers from their thrones. Let me tell you a secret: rulers don't like to hear those kind of songs. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Rich people don't like to hear those things. In our day, this world would be called this would be called sticking it to them, and it's done here by little Mary. East Stanley Jones, preacher from a long time ago, wrote. The Magnificat is the most revolutionary document in the world. In fact, in the 1980s, the government of Guatemala banned any public reading of Mary's Magnificat because it was too politically subversive. This is Nelson Mandela stuff. Can you imagine this little teenage girl, if somebody would have said to her, now 2,000 years later, your word's going to have so much power that an entire government will forbid them from being read. When Jesus grew up, Lo and behold, what's he do? He defies Herod. He would defy Pilate. He would defy the Sanhedrin. He would defy Caesar and the whole Roman Empire. He makes way for the poor and the powerless to be lifted up. What God has done for Mary, he will do for the oppressed. Who do you think was the first person to tell Jesus that God is the one who brings rulers down? That would be Mary. And as Jesus stood before Herod, the Sanhedrin and Pilate, he's thinking, hey, Mom, I remember. I'm singing your song. Mary surely told him about the angel Gabriel when he came to her and and said she was going to have a child. And she said, that's impossible. I've never been with a man. And Gabriel said to her, nothing is impossible with God. You know, no word from God will ever fail. And then one day when Jesus was teaching, what did he say? With God, all things are possible. Where did he get that? Mom. She surely said to Jesus many times, now, Jesus, nothing's impossible with God. Look what happened to me. Don't you remember some of the things your mother used to say? I found this little thing on the internet, things my mother taught me. My mother taught me logic, because I said so, that's why. My mother taught me irony. Keep crying, I'll give you something to cry about. My mother taught me patience. You'll sit there until that spinach is gone. My mother taught me about the weather. This room looks like as if a tornado went through it. My mother taught me about the circle of life. I love this one. I brought you into this world, I can take you out of it. My mother taught me about anticipation, just wait until dad gets home. My mother mother taught me about medical science, you don't stop crossing your eyes, they're going to freeze that way. Remember that one? Yeah. My mother taught me genetics, you're just like your dad. And my mother taught me about justice, one day you'll have kids and I hope they turn out just like you. (laughs) Famous words of mom. Well, one day Jesus gave a talk, and actually it's the most studied, most remembered talk in the history of humankind, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And when he began that most remembered talk in history, he starts by saying, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are the, those that mourn, those that are persecuted, the pure in heart. Same stuff that's in this song. Hey, Mom, I'm singing your song. One of the central characteristics of Jesus' teaching about kingdom life is sometimes called the great inversion. The last will become first, and the first will become last. And the great inversion may be the central theme of this song. It's all about God and in God's kingdom all the messed up junked up dark values and systems of this world will be challenged defied and overthrown the least will be the greatest and the slaves will be on top and those who give their life will end up receiving life one day Jesus was teaching and there was 5,000 people there it was a poor culture and most of those people were hungry so Jesus said I'll feed them all just like Mary sang in her song God fills the hungry with good things hey mom I'm singing your song I'm filling the hungry with good things this time of year, we see guys dressed up in Santa outfits, ringing bells, collecting money so the hungry can be filled with good things. That was Mary's song. Some of you have the spiritual gift of shopping. You're quite good at it. And you've wondered, how can I use my spiritual gift of shopping for Jesus? Well, angel tree is one way you've used your gift of shopping to fill the hungry with good things. Some of you have the spiritual gift of gab. You talk really well, sometimes too well. How do you use it? Well, you can go to, some of you go to the nursing home and Gab. You fill the hungry with good things. Or you visit with people on Sunday morning and make them feel welcome. You fill the hungry with good things. And I wonder, surely, she said to Jesus, Jesus, when I heard about your birth, I said, let it be according to your word. Let it be. Now, Jesus, if God ever asks you to do a hard thing, you just remember how your life started. You remember what your mom said when she was a scared young girl. Just let it be according to your word. Years later, in the garden, in the shadow of the cross... The father asked the son to do a hard thing. He asked the son, will you take on yourself the weight of the sins of the world, the death of this world, so that forgiveness and love could begin and we can start the great reversal? The son thought about it for a moment, and maybe he remembered his mother's story and her song and said, not my will, father, but yours. Let it be according to your word. Hey, mom, I'm singing your song. I said yes to the hard thing. Jesus died because he is the Son of God, but he was also his mother's son. I want us to fast forward nine months. Mary's about to give birth, and another another major part of the birth is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in John the Baptist. He comes upon Elizabeth. He comes upon Zechariah. He comes upon Simeon. The Holy Spirit is just throughout Luke 1 and 2. And to Mary in verse 35, the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, the word for spirit is the word for breath. And there's another song, you'll all know it, and I think it beautifully conveys what Mary's song might have been after the birth of Jesus.